Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Monday the 20th of March. Uh, joining me on this edition, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Do I still have to sleep in the cupboard? News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Can't stay in there forever. Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. How can you read this? There's no pictures. And special guest star Mark Botwright. I'll wear lipstick and rouge and I won't be so huge. Ah, Beauty and the Beast, 1991. It was a new dawn for Disney back then, wasn't it? You know, hand-drawn cell animation with a little bit of CGI and Pixar came along only four years later and pissed all over their parade. (laughs) Does have the directly honour of being the first and only film ever to be nominated, uh, animated film ever to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. It's it's one of these things, a provisional French town where everybody talks American. Everybody's American. Honest Trailers did this this week. They and did, they did brilliant, it brilliant, ex- brilliant, extremely brilliant well, honest. where obviously it's a it case study in Stockholm Syndrome, basically, which it is. Yes. I don't know, I've never oh. seen that. <laughs> You've never seen Beauty and the Beast? No. There are, there are some significant gaps in your film knowledge, aren't there? There really are. Uh, there might be, but I, I don't regard this as being one of them. I'm sure there was a vinyl release, Ed. You can listen to all the songs. And I see most of the Disney soundtracks have been given a, a vinyl re-release not that long ago. Yeah. The only, I do actually own a Disney soundtrack on vinyl, but it's for the best Disney film there has ever been, Dumbo. So, you know. Okay. Well, I, I had a quick listen to the new Beauty and the Beast because it turned up on Tidal and on Spotify. So I gave it a quick listen. Uh, Ewan McGregor, very alo alo accent there. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> and that's his singing voice. I I haven't heard any dialogue from the film yet. Um, for anybody that wants to know, he's playing the, the candlestick, isn't he? So Yeah, he's Lumiere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just going back to Toy Story, I mean, they, they really did, you know, uh, move on, in, not only in terms of animation, but obviously moved it on in terms of storytelling as well, because the, the old Disney tropes of, uh, you know, an old castle, a prince, uh, a prince, a princess or a princess in waiting and all the rest of it. I mean, that, that's, that goes all the way through Disney content, whereas Toy Story was really was cutting edge when it when it came to telling the story as well and and the weird thing which was pointed out this week on facebook and i only just um only just realized is all the human characters have the same face in toy story in toy story yeah well i suppose they were pushing the envelope at the time in terms of what they could animate yeah but the strange thing is that there wasn't any father figures in that film either if you think about it no no there wasn't was there i learned something about toy story 2 the other day uh which i thought was quite amusing in that um halfway through its production it was it was accidentally deleted from the Pixar servers because someone put a piece of housekeeping software on which couldn't tell the difference between scrap files and the actual files. And it's only because one of the animators was on maternity leave and had it backed up on her own equipment, which must have been pretty hefty for the, when it was being made. Um, it's the only reason that film still exists which I thought was quite bizarre. That film had a very troubled production history because originally it was going to be a, a direct-to-video release and then they realised that it was pretty good and Disney switched it to um, saying, OK, well, we'll release it at the cinema. So they accelerated the production schedule and that film, it, it's absolutely brilliant, but it was animated in a fraction of the time that they spent on the original Toy Story. Toy Story. It was uh, incredible that it ended up being as good as it was given its very torturous production history. It's my favourite of the three. Yeah, no, it's the best. It is the best. It's one of the all-time great sequels. That opening sequence is just fantastic yeah. with the rip every Ben Burt sound effect is in that yeah. opening sequence. Um, everything that Ben Burt ever did was in there. It's brilliant. If, if you're a, in that case, uh, like, me, like, like me and Steve, who, who look at these Easter eggs, uh, then you have a great time in that film. 
Um, they even do it towards the end as well, where he finds his father. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> the only father figure in those films, then. <laughs> it is actually, and if you think about the pets as well, I'm sure the pets have the same faces as the human characters as well. It's it's strange because the the kid next door is the same as the kid in the uh, the what do you call him, Andy, and the guy next door who who blows everything up. I can't remember his name now, but. If you think about it, they're, they're exactly the same character. Same so, so either Andy's growing up in Stepford, or there's one the milkman's doing his rounds with the plum, or or it's it's uh, his dad because remember his dad's out in the chair, so he's obviously you know tired out, poor guy. <laughs> Mister Portwright, I'll have a theory on this. Well, no, I, I was just wondering if it was a case of it was viewed from the kind of a uh, toys perspective, and all the toys are kind of human racist and they all look alike. <laughs> Ah, the, the John Motson defence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I hadn't thought it that way around. Anyway, um, I think that, that covers Phil's intro for yet another week. Uh, again, there was an angle written down there, so I had to ad-lib. Hopefully I did it okay that time. At least we didn't get into white goods. That's Don't all I can say. Don't say those two words, because otherwise we will. Yeah. Know, that's That's how it works. Yeah. Unfortunately, the audience was down last week. Uh, the week before um, maybe it was because we called it the White Goods edition <laughs> <laughs> perhaps uh, Mark cheer us up what can we win you can win a really good prize it's a, a 4K Ultra HD Premiere collection on disc and titles include The Revenant Kingsman The Secret Life of, sorry The Secret <laughs> Secret Life of Pi I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> that's, a mash, that's a mashup that that's a big mashup uh, Life of Pi is available uh, and then there's also The Maze Runner Independence Day and Exodus Gods and Kings having trouble reading this morning I am yeah I'm very tired <laughs> <laughs> Like I won't ask you to go and proofread anything then. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. And the competitions are open too? Uh, all eligible members resident in the UK, Ireland and the Isle of Man. And any previous winners? Unless we have a member called Non, no. We don't. Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, maybe we do. I don't know, actually. I need clarification. <laughs> okay, so uh, moving on from competitions, let's go to some hardware news. This is very much going to be the Steve Weathers podcast this week. I'm surprised he's still alive with the amount of... Uh, jet lag that you probably will be suffering what was it, it was a one day turnaround from getting back from the US and then going out to Madrid, I mean it must have been hard work Steve. Yes it was hard work Yeah, although I don't think jet lag was the issue because I wasn't really there long enough to suffer from jet lag, it was just a sort of cumulative tiredness from uh, constantly having your sleep interrupted Yeah, and, you know, not knowing what to, basically you were kind of like okay it's Sunday I must be in Madrid because you didn't know where you were, what day of the week it was mm-hmm. or anything Mm-hmm. But uh, violins playing there. Yes, I was in San Francisco with LG to get a hands-on with the W7, which is their wallpaper OLED TV. So San Francisco, um, your kind of town, eh? Um, lo- lovely place. I love San Francisco. It's a gorgeous town. Um, very nice. Uh, although, uh, obviously, now they've decriminalised marijuana to a large degree in California. Walking down the street, all you could smell was pot everywhere everyone seems to be smoking pot it's a wonder anything gets done in San Francisco that, that explains why you know the neighbourhoods you were walking down you didn't get mugged <laughs> there were some it's a strange America's always been a strange place for me because you have unlike London where there's nice areas and not so nice areas in America it seems to be nice street 
not so nice street nice street not so nice street you don't seem to have a, an area as much as just a street so you'll turn a corner and you'll be a lovely you know very nice nice area and suddenly you find yourself in a, a strictly rough area full of uh, tramps and winos and rough types and it can be quite scary rough so, um, types ne'er do well brought to you by Enid Blyton <laughs> All right, were there she... any vagabonds <laughs> ruffians <laughs> there were some hooligans so it was a pimps there with a big she- with a big sheepskin jackets on and huggy bear. Bit <laughs> warm for that. <laughs> Weather was nice. It was lovely to see the sun for the first time in about two months. How and many was, uh... how many uh, dark green mustangs did you see? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't see any. Steve McQueen was not in residence. I'm afraid. Um... Oh, he's dead, Steve. As nobody told you. <laughs> uh, is he? No. <laughs> Spoilers. I hang on, hang on. I saw him in an advert for a Ford Puma not so long ago. Yeah. Well, that... 20 years, but yeah, same, same, same difference. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, when was the last time the Ford Puma was around? <laughs> is, oh, that the last, is that the last time you watched ITV, is it, Steve? Probably. <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, right, anyway, so you were there to Can see I talk the... about OLED TV? Yeah, yeah, you were there to see the, the wallpaper OLED TV. Now, yeah. the thing here is that the all the press from across the world, so uh, Europe, UK and the US were all invited to the same venue um, to look at the TV under the same conditions because basically um, they're not going to be able to send this out for review just because it's it'd, it'd get broken within five minutes you know? yeah, and if yeah, it went to set, certain reviewers in the UK it'd be broken within two minutes um, it wouldn't even be out of the box and it would be smashed to bits so that's the reason why they invited everybody out so it wasn't under our conditions our normal re- reviewing conditions and as such We've not awarded any badges or any points or any scores or anything, but we have done a hands-on with this. So, um, what were the general thoughts if people haven't, uh, uh, you know, they've been lazy and just haven't bothered reading your review? <laughs> uh, yeah, overall, I, I was impressed, I have to say, because they did have the W7 there, as you say, Phil. It's not um, getting sent out for review for obvious reasons. They also had an E7 there as well, so I got a chance to look at two of their range. I mean, the range includes the B, uh, C, and G as well. And um, I have to say, I, w- I was impressed. I, I felt that uh, they've addressed certain aspects of the performance that we've raised last year, and not just us, but other people as well, but has been raised last year as being an issue with OLED. So particularly its performance just above black. They, they've uh, made efforts to improve that. And in my experience, testing it with material, obviously, like you say, it wasn't under our control conditions that, um, that we normally use, but certainly it appeared there was more detail just above black than there had been on the previous generations. And it did have an E6 there as well to compare directly, so that helped. Um, in terms of measurements, I, I found that the uh, performance out of the box was pretty good, but after calibration, it was really good. The CMS still doesn't work properly, but um, as it happens, you don't really need it because once you calibrated the grayscale, the color accuracy was excellent. And I guess that points to the whole golden sample issue as well. Uh, LG did supply these TVs and so on, but they're supplying these TVs with software that doesn't work, so they're not golden samples in any way. Um, no, I don't think at all, no, because like I say, the um, the grayscale wasn't perfect out of the box. I mean, there was too much red in it um, and it needed calibrating. So they, I don't think they were you know, tweaking these prior to uh, having them tested. And um, But what's, uh, what is interesting is that they are they are they they have improved the color accuracy. They're using um, 17 by 17 by 17 three you look at tables now. So uh, that was evident, I think, in terms of its tracking. It, it, it did look very good, both both for SDR and HDR content and it also tracked the PQEOTF very well, although they've deliberately tracked it slightly away from the PQEOTF curve because um, their, their view was rather than tracking it 
exactly and then having it kind of kind of car clipping at the top they wanted to have, give it a little bit of headroom and a little bit of space they felt it gave it a, a better overall performance there are no standards for hdr it is entirely up to each manufacturer how they implement the tone mapping this was lg's opinion i mean it's their technology so that's the approach they've taken it seems fair enough to me i thought it looked really good with hdr content it is slightly brighter than last year not mass it's about 25 percent brighter than previous generation of panels um so there is a bit more punch to the highlights obviously they're more precise because it's uh, it's an oled tv and self-emitting um one thing they have improved substantially from last year and i think this is something that will please a lot of gamers is they've got the input lag, lag down to 21 milliseconds both in sdr and hdr um so if you're a gamer that's definitely good news um because I think there was more like 38 to 40 milliseconds last year. That that'd be imperceivable. I don't think. <laughs> well, uh, yes. if, you're, if you're playing if you're playing online, you've got more lag on your uh, uh, online through your router than you have from the TV to the handset. Absolutely. There's well, there, there's the, there's that there's the lag from the controller. There's the lag from the internet. There's the lag from being a human being. <laughs> so the TV lag is probably the least of your worries. I should imagine most of the time. But people do sit there and moan about it, even though I don't think anyone can tell the difference for 20 milliseconds. Um, no, I mean, ab- the bot ab- right? Do you think there's any? You, could you are you that incredibly responsive and, and uh, have cat-like reactions that you can tell the difference between twenty and forty milliseconds? Uh, no, no. I I think in general, anything that's that's coming kind of uh, about forty milliseconds and below, I I think you're in the kind of excellent range, and and I I, I don't think there's going to be a great deal of difference there. I think though. Uh, I have played on sets where it's been kind of uh, above 50 milliseconds, and yeah, there is there is something. I don't know whether it's kind of just a, a some kind of a bias. You're 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 kind of assuming that you're seeing it, but it yeah, there is that kind of imperceptible, just slight disconnect uh, between a button press and something happening. I think it's generally once you get down, so you're kind of significantly lower than a, than a frame, say. Then it's going to be absolutely no difference. Yeah, absolutely. but a, fra- a frame is thirty-two milliseconds at thirty frames per second, and that, and for six frames per second, it's sixteen milliseconds. So if uh, you can tell, you can if you anything over sort of forty-eight, I think you can probably tell. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it, it it also depends, as you said, what kind of game you're playing. If 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 you're playing something, uh, you know, online multiplayer, then you know things like the net code and and as you say the lag um from s- various different things are are coming into play and so therefore it's very hard to kind of pinpoint which one thing is is kind of causing that slight disconnect however if say particularly if you're into say um uh fighting games that kind of thing where people are timing things based on frames you know if if you've got those kind of reactions then obviously that makes a difference because then you're into a world where people are talking about using you know um uh crt monitors and the things so they're getting almost kind of no input lag yeah i think where where, where there's been a big improvement has been in hdr terms because a lot of manufacturers and lg one of them didn't have a game mode initially for hdr so then you were talking about sort of 90 to 100 milliseconds of lag which was very noticeable um now we're talking about 20 milliseconds in both sdr and hdr so I think we're into the point where that's an imperceivable um, lag for both types of gaming, and I think, I think that's going to go well. Yeah, I think it's just more kind of also ease of use because it was as soon as um, HDR came in, it seemed like various different manufacturers had so many different settings associated with it that people were trying to unpick what it was that was putting in the lag. So just the idea of just having a kind of one size fits all game mode that has 
good enough input lag it, you know that that's a kind of huge boost to it because still i mean with with um lg's 2016 sets there are still people kind of waiting and unsure as to which sets have had the firmware updates and you know what the lag is like in particular modes or, or people who are say playing in in one mode and don't realize that you know it has kind of boosted the input lag so yeah this is this is a pretty big thing i think yeah, you mentioned different sets having different upgrades for last year's models. That's really related to the B6. Although, interestingly, the G6 also had a slightly different platform. That won't be the case this year. This year, it's a single platform across all the ranges. Quite why they've got five different ranges with exactly the same picture quality, but different prices is beyond me. I mean, particularly when you get down to the B and the C, where they've got the same price. So you're really just saying, do I want a curved stand or do I want a sloped alpine stand? That's basically a decision-making process. There's no 3D on any of these TVs, so there's not even that differentiation like you had last year. Um, yeah, but again, it, it's, a, it's a numbers game, isn't it? They can see they've got five OLED that, yeah, TVs. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what they're doing, which is kind of, I don't know, I can see the logic in it to a degree. You want to say you have different ranges of TVs, different ranges of OLED TVs, but you'd think if they just stuck with, say, a, a, a sort of a high-end model and a low-end model, and had some sort of differentiation between the two, they could um, mass produce them better easily, and you know, without having all these differentiations in terms of cosmetic design, and get the prices down. But although I don't think the prices are un- unre- unreasonable this year, um, given you know, all the things that have been happening since last year, uh, I think uh, LG have done quite a good job of keeping, particularly the B and the C range. You know, at two nine nine nine. Um, for the 55-inch model, that's actually um, comparable where, where it was this time last year. And obviously, these are more advanced panels, so that's not bad. In terms of uh, features, obviously, as we've mentioned from CES, they've got every version of HDR you can think of. So you've got HDR10, Dolby Vision, HLG, and also uh, Technicolor. So performance-wise, picture-wise, brilliant. I thought it was really impressive. I, I really liked it. Um, where I thought, and, and obviously the, the wallpaper design itself is impressive. There's no question about it. When you see it hung up on a wall, you know it's just basically it's like having it's like a window. You know, it's just it's an, an incredible piece of design. In order to do that, they obviously have put everything else: amplification, speakers, uh, processing, connections are all in this uh, all-in-one box. Now I stressed the reason I'm calling it an all-in-one box is because we were told, although not by LG but by Dolby, it's not a soundbar. Uh, not to call it that, it's more of a an all-in-one box. And the reason they didn't want us to call it a soundbar so much is because up until that trip last week, me and everyone else have been referring to it as a Dolby Atmos soundbar. Now, these TVs do support Dolby Atmos. All of uh, LG's range of OLEDs do this year. But um, it was only when we got to Dolby that they were stressing that these upward firing drivers aren't bouncing sounds off the ceiling. It's not creating an overhead effect. They're meant to just push the sound up to raise it to the level of where the screen is because this all-in-one box will be beneath the TV. So it's it's got certain aspects of, of a soundbar, and it does support Dolby Atmos, although only over Dolby Digital Plus and not via True HD. Um, and it's not it's not a full um, Atmos experience. So basically, what it is is a four point two point zero performance. There are two uh, subwoofers built into the all-in-one box, and there are four drivers: two firing forward, two firing up. But it's not a proper overhead experience, or even a, a bouncing off the ceiling kind of experience. So that was um, that was interesting because we weren't told that when we were actually testing it. It was only told the day after when um, we, were, we, were, we couldn't work out why we weren't getting Atmos from uh, True HD sources. And then, of course, it turns out it doesn't support True HD. It only supports Atmos via um, Dolby Digital Plus, which obviously means it's aimed more at streaming services, which is how that is being delivered via people like Voodoo currently. Um, in terms of its uh, performance with Atmos, 
yes, there was a greater sense of, uh, of immersion and, and, and sort of a more open room filling sound with it, which was quite good, but it had absolutely no bass whatsoever. And being very familiar with some of those Dolby Atmos trailers, you know, it, just, it, was, it was missing a lot. So do not go into this expecting to get some all, all singing, all dancing Atmos experience because you're not going to get it. See, the problem for uh, for our most of our listeners will be that um, they'll have a, a sound solution already. So if you're interested in the wallpaper TV, this box then becomes, well, it starts getting in the way. It's redundant, although it can't be redundant because that's where your inputs are and, and everything else. So it, I, I'm guessing it's a pri propriety cable as well it goes from that box up to the screen so how how far can you take things i mean how far can you get rid of this box you, you couldn't get rid of the box because as you say phil it's an integral part of the uh, of the tv i mean it's essentially yeah i mean like hide, hiding it away in a cabinet or something like that i mean how long is um, is the lead from from that to the tv there are two leads uh, available. There's a standard one, um, which I think is something like 43 centimetres, but there's also a much longer lead you can buy as well, an optional lead. Um, it's, it's obviously, they've taken into account the fact that if you're wall mounting, you could be quite a long way from the box, but obviously the box is meant to be beneath the TV. That's the whole idea of it. Um, and you're right, Phil, people buying this, people spending £8,000 on an OLED television are almost certainly going to have some sort of sound solution already. Um, and I did point that out to LG, and they did say they were investigating the idea of doing a version with just a small receiver box, purely for like, all the other stuff, like Samsung does with their little box yes. box of tricks. Similar to that. That's yes. that's yeah. that's what Except you need. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have you'd have a little box with the processing and the connections, but without the audio aspects. And I, and I think that would actually go down really well because a it would reduce the cost slightly because you are essentially paying for this uh, for this um, box. And, um, and and as you say, Phil, it's largely going to be redundant. So you're paying something you're not going to use. And also a smaller box would be easier to hide away in an equipment rack, for example. So, yeah, yeah they are looking at that. Um, I mean, yeah, the technology is impressive. The, 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 the wallpaper aspect is really impressive. The picture performance was excellent. I just, uh, I think maybe the, the, the sound side of it and the all-in-one box side of it may be... Um, off-putting for some people, although I don't know how many they're going to sell at eight grand a pop anyway, and that's for the sixty-five. Yeah, well, that's, there's twenty-three thousand for that's the. You know, that's, for, that's the big point, isn't it? It's prices, and like you say, I mean, if you're getting the same picture quality on the P7 compared to the W7, I mean, all you're paying for there is is the design aspect and and so on. So that's that's quite a bit of difference in terms of cash. It's what nearly six grand. Five, yeah, exactly. Five I mean, grand, sorry, my maths is not that great. Uh, was it eight to three? Yeah, five grand. So it's five grand difference. But I mean, last year you, you could say, well, people, a lot of people bought the E6, for example, not because they wanted the built-in soundbar, but because they wanted uh, 3D. This year, none of, the, none of the models have got 3D. So you literally are just selecting up purely on, on what you want in terms of cosmetics and sound. So if you want a soundbar built into your OLED TV, then you've got the E7 or the G7 to select. If you're not interested in that, then it's really a question of whether you like the curved crescent stand on the b7 or the alpine slope stand on the e7 i mean yeah. that's, that's really what you're down to it's going to be interesting uh, steve in, in those instances both all of them then proceed to wall mount in the same way they do except um obviously with the e7 and the g7 it's slightly different because you've got this built-in sandbar so that they, they, you can wall mount them both um with the e7 it's kind of built in along the bottom like a, like a bar along the bottom of the screen with the g7 as with last year you kind of it, it kind of rotates the bottom bit rotates around behind so you have a, a soundbar firing forward and also a, a sort of a subwoofer aspect beneath behind the screen but they they can be well mounted yes yeah so it'll be interesting to see how how they do um we're waiting to get 
uh, obviously review samples that we can have into our uh, testing environment and get that going and hopefully that'll be that'll be quite soon and of course there is uh, the hands-on review which is up on the site now there's also a video there with interviews uh, with Rob Taylor and Neil Robinson uh, quite a technical uh, interviews there so if you're interested in in the technical side of these screens go and watch that it's on our youtube channel and it's also on uh, av forums if you go to the menu and select the videos uh, you'll be able to find it there uh, right so the prices have also been uh, announced uh, there is a story on the homepage for that if you want all the prices as well so everything's there on the forums for you to go and have a look at and of course there's the discussion threads which are running into many pages already because there's a lot of interest in OLED TVs. So let's move things along slightly. Um, we're still going to be talking OLED TVs, but uh, Steve went to Madrid directly after San Francisco, and uh, it was Philips' launch. So they've launched a new OLED TV, and it looks to me, Steve, that this is more of a, a mass market compared to the, the first TV, the 901. Yeah, that's right. It's the 9002, uh, and it, they definitely are going for a, a cheaper, more mass market approach. So the 901 w- was a bit of a sort of high end model, had this built in soundbar, had those wide apart feet. Uh, very well made, really good, really good OLED TV. Very impressed with the picture performance. Obviously, it used last year's panel, um, and it came late to the market. So that kind of worked against it slightly, and it was expensive, but um, and it doesn't have Dolby Vision, and neither does the new one. But, um, but it, yeah, this, this is a, a kind of a similar TV probably using this year's panel although strangely they weren't um, talking to Danny Tack who's the sort of technical guru at uh, Philips he wasn't entirely sure but they're supposed to be using this year's panel so they were quoting brighter peak brightness numbers so um, higher peak brightness numbers so that suggested is this year's OLED panel from uh, LG Display Um, but yeah they they are going for a a, a cheaper approach in terms of there's none of the built-in soundbar there's a a simpler stand and also probably for most people a better stand because it's more central and not at either end of the panel so it's easier to position it on most surfaces Um, and a slightly less high quality build quality but it still looked great I thought and picture quality looked great in terms of what I saw obviously there was no testing or anything it was just purely out of show but uh, yeah they're they're going for a more mass market appeal only 55 inches this time again um, they would like to do a, a 65 inch as well. I think the problem at the moment is, is is more an issue of just supply and demand. I mean, there's only one company making these panels, and everyone you know, you've got Philips, Panasonic, LG, and Sony. You're, and obviously LG are going to get first dibs. So um, yeah, you've got these people queuing up for panels. So some manufacturers are using 65 inch. For example, Panasonic have got the EZ1002. Um, That's um, 65 inch only. In, in the case of Philips, they've got the uh, 9002, and that's 55 inch only at the moment. And I, I suspect that's partly less of a of a business decision and more of an issue of just getting hold of panels. Um, so they've got that coming out, and that's good news. So we've got, we've got um, two two. Um, so they're still carrying over the 901. So you're gonna have two different OLED TVs to choose from from Philips. You've got five yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Where where can you buy them, Steve? <laughs> ah, um, John Lewis. You can buy them in John Lewis. The only problem is that apparently John Lewis is sort of rather than taking in a load and, and storing them, they're only taking in shipments at a time and then they're being sold out almost immediately. So yes, you can buy them in John Lewis, but there is a bit of a, of a wait because they are selling them as fast as they get them in, um, which I guess is good news for uh, Philips, but it's not so good news if you're a consumer trying to buy one. Uh, they w- Their new range will be available in a lot of different stores. So Richard Sounds, John Lewis, and a couple of others as well. 
But that has always been the problem with Philips, isn't it? They've been making some great TVs over the last few years, but getting your hands on them has been a real issue, or they haven't been released in the UK at all. Um, all the TVs in the articles on the site, they're the ones that the managing director, of, the UK managing director, um, Graham Speak, showed me personally, are definitely the ones coming to the UK, because there are other models on display as well that are not coming to the UK, so we only, I only covered the ones that are definitely going to be released in the UK. I guess the the good thing there is that we are getting the, the two OLEDs, and we're also getting the, um, uh, I forget the model number, it's the 7 series, which looks seven, really quite seven, nice. 7502. Yeah. yeah, which looks really quite nice with a with brushed metal finish and that kind of thing. Because normally when you're talking companies who, I, I guess, they no longer exist, they're coming back, uh, but that's more the, the names being used under license. But the likes of Toshiba and so on, near the end, um, they would take you on press trips and stuff. I remember going all the way to Rome on a press trip, being shown this fantastic TV, top of the top end, top of the range TV, uh, using the new processing chip and all the rest of it. Uh, only be told that after I'd done the video, shot the interviews and all the rest of it, that that TV wasn't coming to the UK. Um and a lot of companies started doing that and, and stopped bringing their high-end TVs in. So they might be difficult to get hold of, but it's good to see that Philips TP Vision are actually going to bring the higher-end TVs into the UK um, and not abandon it like, like other companies did. And then those companies ultimately went under. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so you've got the two OLEDs coming to the UK. You've got the 7502, which is the current sort of flagship um, LCD television. This is the 7,000 range, and there's also going to be four models from the 6,000 range. What was interesting and a bit surprising was that all the models announced, all the LCD models announced at, at the sh at the show um, this week, were use IPS panels. And previously, and I know for a fact, Danny Tack, who's the you know, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, sort of technical guru over at Philips, doesn't like IPS. He prefers VA for the reasons that they deliver deeper blacks and better contrast performance. Obviously, they don't have as wide a viewing angle. So this is a bit of a, a strange uh, a choice from um, Philips TP Vision because it goes against things they've been doing in the past. When asked why, they said, well, these, this, this range is, is a lower tier range. Um, even the 7502 is considered to be a slightly lower tier range. So they're aimed at families and uh, you know more, more than family viewing where you've got people sat, not, not necessarily sat in the sweet spot, but sat across the whole lounge and viewing angles are important. So they've gone for that. I mean, you could tell they were IPS fans, not just by standing off to the side, but also just by the fact that the, the blacks and the... the um, the sort of contrast performance wasn't as good as, as it would be on a VA panel. Having said that, um, what is interesting is that apart from the 7502, which uses edge LED lighting, all the others, the six, all the 6000 series are all direct LED, um, which certainly helps a bit, particularly with things like HDR, and they all support HDR, HDR10 and HLG. Um, now, there, if, you, if, you're, if, you're note, you know, if you're paying attention, notice there's a 9000 series, which are the OLEDs, 7000 and 6000, no mention of an 8000 series. So some fairly heavy hints were dropped that we'll be seeing an 8000 series flagship LCD model coming at IFA, and that's going to be a VA panel um, that's going to be uh, yeah. what I could work out a VA panel local array backlight you know, full array local dimming um, probably ultra HD premium certification you know 1000 nits and quantum dot so that's what's in the pipeline and that was we were sort of tease a lot of this stuff and some hints were dropped and this kind of thing but that that's basically what i was reading into so it. they didn't make the mistake that they did last year by telling everybody exactly what was coming no <laughs> they teased it without actually just saying outright <laughs> or rather danny kept his mouth shut <laughs> <I say. laughs> 
Right, so that's the Phillips thing. Uh, again, there is a video, there is an article. We don't need to go any further with that. I don't think there's anything else really to discuss uh, about that that hasn't been covered in the article. So uh, lastly, TV-wise for this week, um, let's go to Samsung. They've now announced the availability and the pricing of their QLED range, and you're getting a one-on-one with the whole range, Steve, next Tuesday. I am indeed. Yes, I'll be getting a good look at the whole range and all the new technological features that are in them in their QLED range at uh, next Tuesday. Um, they went on, the, they available for pre-order as of the 15th of March and you can actually, they actually start shipping on the 29th of March. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we obviously we, we had a rough idea of what to expect from CES. We saw the Q9 and the, I think the Q8, I'm not sure we actually saw the Q7, but they certainly we knew that that's what the range was gonna be. And Samsung announced their pricing to go with it, which I've got to say, uh, I felt was a little bit toppy in places. Particularly, I was looking at last year's prices. Yeah, just just before we came on, and the the equivalent models are significantly more expensive this year, aren't they? Now, now you could say, well, that's understandable given that the pound against the dollar has just fallen through the floor in the last six months, and also, and this is something that's um, not been talked about widely, but I did talk about it with Philips, and they would they said yes, absolutely true. Is there's a serious shortage of LCD panels at the moment? It might explain why they've suddenly got a load of IPS panels in, actually. There is a serious shortage of, IP, of, um, of, of LCD panels in the marketplace, so much so that Samsung are buying them from LG. Who thought we'd see that? So um, that's going to, I mean, supply, the pure basis of supply and demand means it's going to drive up panel prices. You've got currency uh, effects of, of Brexit, basically, which is driving up costs overall for all, all consumer products because everything's pretty much priced in US dollars. Uh, so I wasn't surprised necessarily to see that, but you would. You, it looks, looks as though LG are, are sort of you know absorbing some of those costs rather than passing them on to the consumer, as are some of the other manufacturers. Sony, for example, their pricing didn't seem ridiculous. It does not seem as though Samsung are doing that. And I think for what is essentially okay, it's you know it may be tweaked, but it's still basically an LCD television. They're going to struggle to sell them at those prices. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think they're being quite clever with this QLED marketing, obviously, and they're trying to lead customers down the garden path a bit. That it's a you know completely new tech, so maybe they're relying on that a little bit as well. Looking at the OLED pricing, it's obviously a bit cheaper than the equivalent OLEDs that LG have got out. But um, yeah, if they, if they can play off this QLED marketing and make it out to be something new, they might be able to carry those prices for for a little bit at least. But I would expect them to drop significantly throughout the year. It's interesting that they're still doing. Um... That basically, if you look at the actual model numbers, it's like QF, sorry, Q7F, which is flat, and there's also Q7C, which is curved. There's the eight, uh, so Q8C, which is which is curved. There's no flat version of the Q8, and then there's the Q9, which is only available as flat. So they're still pushing the, the curved screens, and interestingly, the curved screens are more expensive. So I, I can see those not selling at all, given that people don't seem to like curved screens, and they're going to have to pay more for the privilege. But looking at um, you know the 55-inch uh, Q8C. That's 2999. So it's the same price as the the C7 or the B7 55-inch um, OLED. Uh, and even the the Q the Q7F, which is the cheapest, uh, you can get the 55-inch for that is 299. And the the 65-inch Q9F, which is the flagship model, is 489, nearly five grand. I mean, that, I could be wrong here, but you, you said you looked at last year's prices, Mark. That's more than the 9500 last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, significantly more. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's, so, it, there's, it, they are significant. I didn't work out how many percentages, but there are a few hundred pounds. Even at the the seven F is like four hundred pounds more than the seven thousand. It's the biggest big numbers. So they better be good. Yeah. <laughs> is anyone else still doing curved screens, or are they alone now? 
they are alone now. I haven't seen a single curved screen from anybody else. And, and I think, I w- you know... I wonder if there's going to be a petition to save those. Something tells me <laughs> there isn't. <laughs> no. We knew that it was going to quietly die away, and uh, you were definitely seeing the effects of that right now. You can look yeah. forward to a, a nostalgic Channel 4 series in 2015. I remember 2017 and curved screens. Well, I mean, I still... I, I don't... I, uh, my, my pet theory on this is when... OLED was at the more conceptual stage and it's like look because of its nature it can be curved and applied and essentially simply to head this notional advantage off at the pass Samsung went to the effort and engineering of curving an LCD and as far as they were con- as far as they were concerned I think it came down very simply to it didn't matter if it worked or not it simply nullified a notional advantage of OLED that's all that they I'm increasingly convinced that's pretty much the only reason they did yeah, it I think we all said yeah, that I think there's the probably some truth to that <laughs> You know, essentially, if it was a success, hooray, they had a range of curved televisions. If it wasn't, then it's removed an advantage of OLED where it's much easier for them to do it than it is technically for an LCD. Turns out nobody wants a bendy television, so away it goes. From the curve point of view, that, that that is the case, but I'm still waiting on the day where your OLED works the same way as a, as a roll-down screen, and, and I think it will come one day. Well, it Please. might do, but I hope it it's more reliable than most blinds that I've bought over the years, where, <laughs> you know, sooner or later you pull it in a bad mood, and then you... you well, that, that's... that's on the floor. That's, that's user error, though. That's nothing to do with the TV build quality. That's that's you being too... Unfisted. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, but there's a world of difference between angrily pressing a standby button and angrily then interacting physically with the television and risking damaging it. I think all blinds die in the end, don't they? This is true, yeah. All blinds go to heaven. Well, no. They go to hell. It's a philosophical point. (laughs) You know, there's a road to hell. There's only a stairway to heaven. That tells you where everything's going. My God. This is existentialism at its very worst, isn't it? (laughs) Too much for the morning. Yeah, I've only had one cup of coffee. Yeah, I've only had one cream egg. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few months, because I suspect those Samsung prices are going to plummet (laughs) pretty quickly. I think there are a lot of people... I think there are a lot of people who are in a kind of similar position to me, which is still with a 1080p set, figuring that this was the year to jump on 4K, and now thinking, not sure whether to perhaps go for a, a, a bargain for a 2016 set or whether to kind of wait and see how things pan out. But it, it seems like either 2017 could be the year that everything kicks on or that a lot of people choose to sit out for one reason or another. Yeah. I mean, there are still some things happening in terms of, you know, technological advances although it looks like a lot of the panels are things like for example the LG panels I mean they're, they're 120 hertz Philips panels were 100p and certainly in the case of the LG panels they could actually accept 1080p at 120p so they could accept a, a full HD ultra high frame rate signal which is handy for gaming and there's no technical reason why they couldn't do it for 4k as well so there are some future proofing built into that plus when asked about HDMI 2.1 they said that um as long as it didn't exceed 18 gigabits a second, um, then there's no reason why they couldn't update that as well. So there is, even though there are changes coming along and more advances happening, there yep. is some future proofing built into these TVs. I think that's the big one, though. That's the big one, particularly for gamers. HDMI 2.1 is the the kind of reason that people might sit out this year if there's no obvious kind of commitment or path towards compatibility with that. 
simply because it brings with it things like variable refresh rate, which is you know, quite literally a game changer. So again, a lot of people are kind of unsure whether you know which sets from 2017. If if you get new consoles, say in um, 2019, 2020, that can take advantage of it, then it makes either more sense to wait or get a you know a decent flagship that's come down to a, a great price now. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can understand the reticence to jump in right now, and it does kind of make sense. I think um, I think what what the best thing to do is if you don't need a TV right now, is just to wait to see, uh, let everything get released, get it get you know get it get it all reviewed, see what the prices settle down to because they will change over the next few months um, and then you know obviously as you run in towards the se- second half of the year into the th- third or fourth quarter then you're going to see uh, significant price reductions and uh, you know you'll have a better idea of where we're going with things like HDMI T1 because when you talk to the manufacturers they don't necessarily know themselves yet because it is still relatively new but we will have a better idea by the summer Meanwhile, your periodic friendly reminder that um, the uh, format standards for vinyl are completely agreed and finalised, and that if you buy one of those, it will still work happily for decades to come. Can't watch much on vinyl, though, can you? Well, you can watch the hologram on the Force Awakens soundtrack, but yes, that's about the you know. Right, I think it's uh, I think it's time to move on from TVs and Steve. Uh, so let's go, Hodge. Hodge, you've been playing with the Nintendo Switch. Um, have you gone and bought one yet? Mr. Pot, right? Uh, how dare you? you think that my resolve is so weak that I, yeah, I did try and go and buy one. <laughs> <laughs> but they'd sold out, so I'm being saved from myself by the, the lack of stock in shops right now. Right, well, well, Hodge is now going to rub it in your face because he's got one. So, what, well, what do you think? Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. But yeah, Mark, you've got a Wii U, so you've you've already got the biggest reason to buy a switch which is zelda um there's not there's not an abundance of software available let's put it that way so um if you've got a wii you're sitting pretty for for a few months until the uh, must-have titles come out or the must-have exclusive titles come out it's a lovely bit of hardware mostly uh, the build quality is really nice the, the tablet screen's really impressive uh, it's an ips panel it's really really bright very colorful but it looks really accurate as well if you compare it to a, a calibrated telly it, it, it it looks, you know, more or less identical. It's uh, it, it's spot on, really. Uh, there's no dead pixels on the on the um, pixel. I've done it again. Dead pixels. <laughs> Can't stop myself with that word. Yeah, the, the the screen uniformity was generally good, but on bright screens, certainly in in the dark, there was a little bit of black backlight bleed around the edges, um, but nothing noticeable really in the games. I did have the problem, or do currently have the problem, of the left Joy-Con disconnecting while, while you're playing or while you're using the on-screen keyboards, which it just seems to lose it for a couple of seconds. It didn't, and it kind of depends where it is in the house. So what Nintendo was saying about uh, wireless speakers and Bluetooth devices interfering with the communications within the controller is definitely true, because if I move it into the lounge near my router and all the rest of the multiple boxes in there um it, it it can happen quite frequently but if i move it into the into the diner it's, it's not such a problem at all the control is, is is kind of the defining thing about the switch it can be done in in three ways for those that don't know you can hook it up as a as like a traditional um games controller on the grip that's supplied you can stick them on the edges of the switch console itself so you have a, like a tablet gaming experience um but with proper control it, it, the, the screen's only 6.2 inches which isn't isn't massive but um, the fact that you don't have to touch the screen to control anything kind of extends it and it does fill your, fill, uh, your field of vision for the most part in the way, way you hold it uh, certainly no complaints in in that regard the, in the in the more traditional format I'm not a fan um, the joy, the thumbsticks are, aren't offset from the directional and letter buttons so they're 
directly above and below and that's awkward sometimes particularly when you're playing Zelda and you want to change weapons or something you you find you feel well I certainly do find myself fumbling about with my left thumb uh, um, trying to get it in the right position and, and and I find that awkward so I mean you can answer all these problems by getting yourself a pro controller but that's 60 pounds extra on top of the 280 pound price tag which I do think is it's a little bit hard to justify when there's no um, bundle software I, at least you got something with the, obviously the Wii sold on the back of Wii Sports uh, and, and that came with the console and you know that, that made all the difference <laughs> the I guess the answer to um, Wii Sports that the Switch has got is called One Two Switch, which I really think should have come with it instead of costing thirty-five pounds. And that's a, a series of mini games that utilise the controller in the in the third ways you can use it. So the Joy Cons are separate items, the left and right Joy Cons, and you can attach shoulder straps and make them into individual controllers for like local multiplayer games. And you can, uh, which can be done on the TV, or you can prop the Switch up on its back stand and, and play it just like that um, which is obviously useful if you want to do it as a portable thing but 1-2 Switch in itself is it's a bit of hit and miss and a lot of the games are pretty forgettable and not, not really worthy of repeat um, you, mean, you mean you haven't had any rooftop parties where you've been milking virtual cows you know I've tried to gather my friends I've tried to gather my friends for this but they're not interested <laughs> the kids have quite enjoyed it uh, but yeah it's 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 not brought any harmony to the home. They, they, they seem to argue about it all, all the time. Even when the even when the switch is the adjudicator of who's won, there, there seems to be uh, inquiries <laughs> a lot. So yeah, it's they, they quite like it, but they're not bowled over by the thing. Um, overall, I mean, if if you can wait, Mark, then do because I, I don't think there's really any real massive reason to buy it. I and mean, the gaming. On the switch itself is the highlight for me, with with the Joy Cons attached to either side, and just being able to pick it up and play that anywhere. So, um, so c- can we call the middle bit the Joy Division then? The Joy Division, <laughs> yeah, the Joy. Good, nice, like it. Um, I'll stick that in the review. Um, yeah, it's 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 a nice little thing, but it needs it's desperately in need of some more software. Although, arguably, Zelda could take you at least a few months to to complete. Um, what about but- the screen? For, for for outdoor use, you know, it's really good. It goes exceptionally bright. As something I mentioned in the review, it's pretty resistant to um, sunlight. We got some sunlight earlier in the week, so I was able to test that out. Uh, obviously, you can't do it in direct sunlight, but if provided you your head or your body is between you and the sun, then you'll you'll have no issues. It rejects ambient light really, really well, and it, and it goes really, really bright without without losing color fidelity. Yeah, the screen's impressive, and it can definitely be done in most ambient light conditions obviously direct sunlight is too much of a challenge um overall yeah it's it's good uh I, th- I think maybe some people will struggle to understand what it's all about having three configurations for the controller is that a little bit unnecessary um i would probably say it's although it's you know it's, it's marketed as a hybrid device for portable gaming and a home console i would say it's it's a portable machine with tv functionalities because I because I prefer the the control best in the in the sort of handheld format. Um, if you do buy a pro controller, that would change things. But yeah, I prefer it in handheld mode than I do attached to the TV. Zelda had a few frame rate issues in that in that mode as well that um, you don't get on the tablet and you don't get on the Wii U. In terms of the look of Zelda, in comparison between the two consoles, there's not much in it really. Um, you, you, 
I'm, I'm watching on a 65 or playing on a 65 inch 4k tv so that does most of the scaling anyway and you can it, you're hard pressed to see any difference maybe a bit of textures here and a, a bit of popping on the wii u that you don't get on the switch but yeah if it, as a wii u owner mark i would just hang fire until until there's more and maybe a price drop or at least some bundled software with it and are you going to listen to him uh mr Potter, or are you just going to come by when anyone they come back in I, I might have a window open on my browser with the stock checker refreshing. But... <laughs> I mean, you'll enjoy it. Of course, you'll enjoy it. It's a new Nintendo console, and and there's lots to like. But yeah, well, if you've got Zelda on the Wii U, then that's yeah, the real wow fact about it, really. Yeah, I think you know, with with any console, the, the smart decision is always: is there a game you want to buy on it that you will buy the system for, rather than deciding I like the look of the system. Now, what game can I find to play on it? You know, it, that's you always end up playing a few absolute stinkers at launch and convincing yourself that you really want to play it. You know, I, I'm not sure whether I've quite hit that level where I'm going to be spending, you know, forty pounds on on Bomberman R or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's only I think there's only twelve or thirteen titles in the eShop anyway available. There's there's, there's a real paucity of software um, and. Uh, beyond snipper clips, which is which I downloaded the demo for, that which is good fun. Um, I, I couldn't see myself buying anything else if it was my own money. I really. I think if, if if it had more functionality out of the box, I I would be more tempted to. You know, oh yeah, I haven't have... covered the media functions of which there are none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there's nothing. There's nothing. I can't even view a photo on it. You can view screenshots uh, that you take in you know, during your gaming, but um, and share them to Facebook and Twitter. I think maybe Instagram, um, but that's about it. There's nothing. There is a browser apparently that you can access that's that's built in, but it's it's not really available to the general public. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very much lacking in the media functionalities, and, and, it, and even when they do come, um, there's no there's only 60 hertz output, so iPlayer will be knackered com- completely. You can't watch iPlayer at 60 hertz; it looks awful on the big screen. Um, there's no 24 hertz output, so you can't really watch movies successfully. Um, and oh, the, yeah, a couple of other points on that. Actually, there's no Dolby licensing, so you'd be reduced. You'd be definitely only limited to stereo. There's no digital uh, audio out, so you have to have an HDMI capable uh, receiver or soundbar if you want. Um, that's LPCM 5.1. Uh, there's no headphone jack unless you play in the handheld format. So if you want a, a game on the TV, you'll have to make other arrangements, basically, because there's no there's no headphone jack built into the grip and that's short does it uh, can you still plug it in though uh, say the headphones into the unit if you you know with the long cable once you plug it into the grip does that still work uh you know i've not tried it'd be, it'd be a long way off for my cable to reach that yeah it might, i guess that might work yeah that might work actually okay. i'll try that out and, and if paint. we if we hear you've hanged yourself with your cable then <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll know what happened <laughs> it wouldn't be very convenient it'd look a bit messy but i mean i really think they should have what, oh, I had phone joke. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way I'm going to go, mate. Killed whilst playing one-two switch, getting yeah. marbles in a box. I tell you what, I nearly did kill myself doing the boxing. Jesus. But a tip for that, tip for grown-ups who take on their kids at these games: use short arm movements and don't don't fully extend to give yourself a chance. I was getting pummeled <laughs> by my eight, my eight-year-old. <laughs> I just worked out because her arm her arm was extending fully when more quickly than mine was. So I reduced myself to little little rabbit type punches and beat the hell out of her. <laughs> there we go. EV Forum's <laughs> always at the cutting edge of advice for you. There you go. Another bit of pure gold there from Mark. And uh, on that note, let's move on to movie news, which is next. 
Okay, so moving on to movie news. Uh, I don't know how I'll manage this. I did go to the cinema last week. I went to see Kong Skull Island. So I should technically be about minus six on the unlimited card, whereas I'm actually minus 12 because what I did was I went on Monday, which is half price day. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, the ticket was only six quid. So yes, yeah, so I'm about minus 12 at the minute to get myself back into the, uh, into the black. Right, so Kong Skull Island, I said I was going to review that. Seven out of 10, it's good popcorn fun, go see it. I would, I would agree with that, by the way. I don't think there's much else to say. It's a B movie. You know what you're getting into when you when you're talking about uh, you know a film with monsters. There's a B movie that you're going to have lots of expendable cast members. Um, you're going to have an ensemble cast that you don't ever get to know. You don't get to know any of the characters. You don't get to feel any empathy for the characters. You don't get to feel of their plight. All you want is the big monsters beating the shit out of each other and that's exactly what you get for the running time of the movie because they don't even take much time to set it up. It's supposed to be in the same universe as Monarch. Um, The only reason you know that is that there's a suitcase with the emblem on as they get out of a car um, which gives you that that clue. So this is the same universe as uh, Godzilla movie and I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers by saying that. There's and a, also a little sequence right at the end of the credits too, isn't there, where they set up? There is the set up uh, another movie, even though you know this one is getting mixed reviews. But to be honest with you, this is a type of movie that cinema was made for. It's it, the same way as the Jurassic Park movies and, and other monster movies like Godzilla. You know, you go for the spectacle, and there's plenty of spectacle in here. It's beautifully shot. The effects are absolutely astounding. The characterization is poor. Um, they try to use the the old trope of Kong falling for the female, although luckily uh, it just falls flat on its face in this movie. So they, they spend all of three minutes on it, uh, which which gives you an idea of what it's all about. It, it's fantastic in terms of the scenery, the way it's been shot, the animals, the monsters, the violence, the on-screen action. The soundtrack is completely bombastic. Um, it'll make a great demo disc when it comes out, and I have no doubt that Steve will buy the UHD Blu-ray. Um, it, it like will I say, look and sound stunning. Yeah. It, it will. <laughs> Seven out of ten. If you want popcorn fun and big monsters beating the shit out of each other, go see it. Uh, one take, thing, yeah, one thing. Yes, those. this is what I'm going to say. It's a 12A. There is no way on earth that this is a 12A. The, there is a lot of violence in this. There's a lot of um, really intense action, uh, really intense stuff going on. I jumped a few times. Um, there were adults and children walking out of the, the screening that I was in after the helicopter sequence because it is so intense. So if you've got kids. I would probably go and see the film first before taking the kids to see it, just to see, because um, there's no way this is a 12, it should have been a 15. Yeah, yeah, I was quite surprised at some of the buds. I think that's a general trend, though. It seems to be, you know, you kind of wonder, what have you got to do to get an 18 these days? Because some of the 15 certificate stuff is brutal. Um, like Logan, for example, was quite brutal in terms of strong language and really extreme violence. Um, this for a 12A, I thought was, there's a couple, there's a bit when that thing goes down the guy's throat too, which was really quite graphic. I don't want to give too much away on saying that. Well, let's say one thing, though, Phil. My cinema has only got to do one thing right, which is project the bloody thing in its correct aspect ratio. And at the beginning, it's a 2.35 to 1 film. And at the beginning, it was being projected at 1.85 to 1. And I thought, oh, OK, it's World War II sequence. They're going to they're gonna widen it out at some point. They're doing a delivery. It's a creative decision. So I got to the credits, and the screenplay credit was missing at the ends. And I thought, 
they've got the masking side masking on, haven't they? They've still got the sodding side masking on. So I had to go out and have a massive row and they're going like, you've got the side masking on, you idiots. You've only got to do one thing. <laughs> I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I was yeah. livid. Yeah. <laughs> and then they stopped the film, took off the side masking and put it back on again. It was like, oh. Yeah, none of those problems at the Odeon at the Metro Centre, and I'll give the Odeon at the Metro Centre, uh, you know, 10 stars. Um, big thumbs up. Presentation's always first class there. I remember the days though, Steve, when I used to go to a Warner Village cinema or, or somewhere like that, um, the old UCI or, or whatever, and I have be, I have literally been in screens where the film has been projected on the ceiling. Missed the screen completely. <laughs> that takes some doing, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, that was back in the days where they used to loop the film along the projection room if they had two or three showings in it it was the same bit of film but it went all the way down to the far end and then all the way back up and through another projector and then all the way up through the next one and it was the days before automation and, and zooms and stuff so it was in the days where the lenses would physically move in between the projector and the screen and the projectionist would have to come and check it and obviously the projectionist forgot to come and check and it was being projected on the ceiling it has happened but that minor point aside I did enjoy the film and John C. Riley just stole it didn't he he did and I, I'm not going to say any more because we have been accused of uh, giving spoilers away in the past so I'm not going to say any more other than you know if you want a big big fun popcorn uh, you know monsters beating the shit out of each other go see it it's it's great fun and the effects for it's ILM that do the effects as well and the effects are absolutely astonishing really really good uh, right so I have minus 12 on my card. Steve, what can I go to and see? Well, uh, this week you have two options, really two major options, which is chips. Which I've is never turned down version. chips ever. <laughs> yeah, does anyone remember the TV series from the 70s? I, I remember of it. I don't remember anything of it. I, I, I'm old uh, enough to remember, but I didn't like it. Yeah, I don't uh, have any memories of any episodes or anything, but I do remember it. I mean, I did. I do remember watching it. I remember Eric Estrada was uh, Punch, yeah, Punch It was on ITV, wasn't it? You weren't allowed to watch that. <laughs> I did watch a bit of Chips. Oh, you um, naughty boy. <laughs> but uh, I can't remember thinking it was particularly good. I, I remember that. I don't know whether it warrants the film. I mean, it's directed, written and directed and stars Dax Shepard, who is a comedian. So I'm assuming this is a comedic it, take. It is. And I've seen the, I've seen a couple of trailers now. It's very much, it's, it's not taking itself very seriously. It knows what it is. And it's very self-knowing, if you know what I mean, in terms of the comedy and stuff as well. It's... Uh, it looks like being a straight out comedy so it's either going to work or it's going to land flat in its face and, and <laughs> I think I'm prepared to say it, it'll land flat in its face yeah, I think it's a safe bet uh, I don't think anyone was clamouring for a Chips movie with <laughs> Michael Peña's in it though playing Ponch and, and to be fair based upon Ant-Man he's, he's got some great comic timing so it, maybe it'll work but uh, I think it might uh, it might be a, a miss uh, alternatively if you want to get some value for money out of your card Phil there's also Life, which looks a lot more interesting. This is um, set aboard the International Space Station. There's a probe that's been sent to Mars and comes back from Mars, and they have to capture it and then analyze the results for the source samples brought back from the Martian surface. And um, uh, things do not go according to plan. This uh, this <laughs> sounds like Alien. A <laughs> uh, little bit like Alien, yeah. Um, obviously, it's meant to be taking a slightly more scientifically accurate approach, although I doubt it, because by the trailer I saw before Skull Island last night. Um, the the problem I have with the trailer is taking Ryan, Re Ryan Reynolds seriously anymore. As an astronaut. <laughs> no, just taking him serious anymore in anything he does now. He is Deadpool and he's the wisecracker comedian. That's it. it it's so difficult to take him seriously anymore. It's got a good cast there because, like I said, Ryan Reynolds has also got Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Rebecca Ferguson. 
Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I kind of it looked like it. I, I like a, a nice space film. I like a good sci-fi. Um, so I'd I th- probably I th- will go and see it. I think if it's I'm a bit it, worried. A bit worried for Jake Gyllenhaal in so much as he appears to be developing uh, what could be termed as Nicolas Cage syndrome whereupon basically he'll receive either an email or a letter going would you be interested and he doesn't read any further than that and just goes yes (laughs) so every now and again he still crops up in stuff where he is absolutely fantastic I mean we've all had this conversation Nightcrawler um, that's an extraordinary performance I thought he was pretty good in The Fighter as well things like that um but then you know prince of persia mm, yes and so on and so forth it's just like you know are, are you do you need something to do jake yes all right well go and have a go in this film what, what's it about you I, I guess about i guess sometimes you know they've got bills to pay ed and and just like anybody you know you're, you're going you'll take i mean you're a freelancer i'm, I'm sure this you is take true. On. i mean nicholas nicholas cage does have enormous bills to pay i mean he has some unusual debts and he had that enormous fine because he had that fossilized skull that he wasn't supposed to have. Okay. Um, so yeah, his 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 methodology is clear. I, I wasn't aware that that Mr. Gillenhall was in quite the same situation, but it, it's perfectly possible he is, I guess. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure you know living in LA has its problems, and uh, you've got to pay for things, unfortunately. Um, right, so that's a films this Friday. It's a choice between Chips and Life. I think I'll choose. <laughs> I think I'll choose Life. Or in your case, Chips for Life. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us who still buy Blu-rays, Steve, I'm looking at the list here. Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd choose Arrival, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about it at length uh, a couple of weeks ago because obviously it came out on Ultra HD Blu-ray and Blu-ray earlier in the States. It's coming out on Blu-ray in the UK this week. Uh, No Ultra HD Blu-ray release, interestingly, though. Um, At least not yet, not announced. Um, And and I think, you know, we've discussed that at length. Um, Yes, great film, really interesting movie. And uh, probably better getting it on on Blu-ray than Ultra HD Blu-ray, depending on what kind of display you're using, um, particularly if you've got a projector. Um, but yeah, it would be my recommendation of the week, I think, in terms of uh, in terms of the films on this list. Um, other films that are good, are United Ki- <coughs> excuse me, are United Kingdom certainly worth checking out. Um, maybe I say director that made Bell, a film that I really really liked. So I'd be interested in that. The Chamber, we only reviewed that in the cinema two weeks ago, so it's had a really quick transition to disc. Same goes for The Love Witch, which only came out of the cinema a couple of weeks ago. And um, an interesting film. Now, this is only available on DVD, but I put it on the list because uh, I saw it um, and I thought it was great. It's a, it's a film called Operation Avalanche, and it's basically a sort of found footage movie about a bunch of guys at the CIA faking the moon landing. And it's done really well. I mean, they don't fake the whole thing. Uh, what happens in the, 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 the premise of the story is that the um, lander won't work. They can't, Grumman can't get the lander to deliver, to deliver the lander in time for, the, for landing before the end of the decade. So they can get the astronauts to the moon, they can circle around the moon, they just can't land on the moon. So what they fake is the actual landing part. Uh, and they do it really, really well. And there's loads of cool stuff in there. There's bits involving Kubrick and all kinds of stuff. Um, really plays into the whole mythology of it, how they fake it. It's, it's a really clever little film, um, and, and I recommend it highly if you have if you get a chance to see it. I really, really enjoyed it. Fine. Although I, I, I think Mitchell and Webb did everything that needed yeah, to be yeah, done they, about, they... <laughs> about moon landing conspiracy. <laughs> really funny. Uh, right, so uh, any crap that we need to buy on Ultra HD Blu-ray, Steve? Well, um, actually, out this week, you have, and I think everyone should be buying this without question, uh, you've got Fast and Furious 6 and 7 hitting Ultra <laughs> HD Blu-ray. <laughs> Come without on! Without question. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> announced for Ultra HD Blu-ray, and this is for the US at least, 25th of uh, April, is La La Land. That's the, the big new announcement. Um, so that's coming to Ultra HD Blu-ray very soon. I'm going to have to buy it because I know the song's inside out now. I've been listening to it quite a bit on uh, on Tidal. Um, oh well, I'm I'm starting to know all the words because obviously some of my, some of my wife's pupils are starting to get quite enthusiastic about singing some of those. So uh, yeah, I've still not seen the film. Probably won't see it for years. But like Frozen, I'll know know all of the songs. I, I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't get to see it on the big screen because I I would like to have seen it on the big screen just to see what all the hype was about. To be honest, much the same way as I missed Moulin Rouge on the big screen, I wish I'd seen that in all its technicolor glory on film. I want my two hours back. I did see it on the big screen. What a shitstorm of a film! Hate I it. Disagree with you there. Ed. Oh, absolutely like, disagree with you there, Ed. It's it's absolute. It's a, a a collective insanity shared by a swathe of the population. It's unmitigated shit from start to finish. I hate it, um, and I want my life back. Okay. Well, I, I guess we're all entitled to our reviews, and and some people are are wrong. Which you well, clearly I are. You know, which... I don't review films, but I, to be honest, most of the I find most of the output of Baz Luhrmann to be wildly overrated. Well, I see. I really like his stuff. I, I, I loved um, Romeo and Juliet. Now you see, I, that's I think... the exception. That's why I don't write off everything. I do like Romeo and Juliet. I think that's very, very clever. Everything else, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Steve Moulin Rouge. I, I, I wish I'd seen it on the big screen. Did you get to see it? Did you have that that luxury? I did see it on the big screen. Yes, and I must admit, for the first ten fifty minutes, I was like, with the whole when they were first at the at the nightclub, and it's the whole can 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 thing, and it's really in your face. And I was like, Christ, if it's going to be like this for two hours, I don't think I can handle this. This is uh, overwhelming. After that, it it calms down a bit, <laughs> and uh, then I really got into it, and I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was uh, it looked amazing. I thought. I thought Ewan McGregor. I mean, obviously, he's in the, the new version of Beauty and the Beast, um, and he never gives anything but the full bo- anything less than the full bollocks when he's singing. Yeah, and unfor- he unfor- his heart out in that film. <laughs> unfortunately, in Beauty and the Beast, Steve, go and have a listen on Tidal because it is it it's it's allo allo levels well, of French. Well, to be fair, accent. it was like that in the original, wasn't it? It's a be our guest, be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> it's no way of doing that song without sounding like Rene from Allo Allo. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's, that, it's, it's not. It's not to... Rennie. He it, it sounds like he sounds like the the policeman. That's what he sounds like. Good morning. Like. Oh, uh, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> when I was back at university doing my degree, there was one guy on my course, and um, we did the same. One of the modules we did the same module, so he, he would he would sit in the same lecture hall as me week in week out, and every week week for the hour of the lecture, he would simply draw in biro a Lumiere from uh, from Beauty and the Beast as his notes for that lecture and the, that you know it was odd in itself but <laughs> what did annoy me slightly is that he got a first so <laughs> clearly I had the wrong end of the stick actually paying attention to what was being said I should have just drawn more Disney characters so um, yeah that's my <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to see what the modules were in your degree were they like carpet bombing third world countries or something like that was it <laughs> do sod off no um that <laughs> the one that we were both in there was uh military technology it wasn't far off then <laughs> so I, I see this weekend um would interest you i'm sure you already know a bit but the uh the old classic classified films of uh the u.s nuclear yeah, program are now available to scene. deeply un- unpleasant um yeah there were essentially uh because 
as I understand, one, a certain amount of time has passed since the tests were run. Two, certain aspects of blast and shock stuff was 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 kept both from the public, but also because it was data that was felt that certain other nations testing nuclear weapons might not be able to detect and work out quite as effectively. So some of these clips will show you show you shock waves and forces just moving in ways that are just bizarre they just look totally totally wrong but that that's because essentially that that data was 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 retained for the, for the use of the US government it, they it allowed them to to model what would happen more effectively and so on and so forth from airbursts and things like that so yes in a in a deeply morbid sense it is well worth a look and if you are, as I've, I've, I think I've made this recommendation sometime in the past, if you're fascinated by that sort of Cold War fu- uh, sort of feudalism, um, there is a book called The Wizards of Armageddon. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Um, and uh, for considering the subject matter, it is an absolutely fantastic read. One of these days, it might even make a serviceable film. Cool. Good stuff. Um, I watched a couple of them and. Uh... I, it's always impressive to see the sheer power um, being being unleashed. It's uh, yeah, terrifying. Anyway, um, and on that bomb shell, literal. Uh, that's it for the podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. You must control your temper. It's difficult, Steve. Mark Hodgkinson. I use antlers in all of my decorating. So do I, Mark. Ed Selly. Oh dear, that didn't go very well, did it? Usual shit, Ed. And Mark Butright. I say we kill the beast. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV4 and the latest reviews, news and video, and of course, leave us those five-star ratings on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton, thank you very much for listening, and all being well, we'll see you next week. Yeah.